0: Preface of The Life of Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard, With a full reprint of the famous revolutionary article Jacta Alia Est, which was written by Jane Francesca Elgee, who afterwards became the mother of Oscar Wilde and an additional chapter contributed by one of the prison warders who held this unhappy man in jail. to T. M., who, in the extreme of adversity, proved himself the true friend of an unhappy man. This book is dedicated. Quote, The heroes of literary as well as civil history have been very often no less remarkable for what they have suffered than for what they have achieved, and volumes have been written only to enumerate the miseries of the learned and relate their unhappy lives and untimely deaths. To these mournful narratives, I am about to add the life of a man whose writings entitle him to an eminent rank in the classes of learning and whose misfortunes claim a degree of compassion not always due to the unhappy, as they were often the consequences of the crimes of others rather than his own. Dr. Samuel Johnson. Preface. The extract from the introductory passage of Dr. Johnson's Life of Richard Savage, which appears on one of the fly leaves of this book, sets forth in a manner singularly appropriate the impression which is produced on every thinking head and feeling heart by a contemplation of the career of Oscar Wilde. Who that follows his ascension to that eternity of fame, of which he speaks in De Profundis, and watches his sudden and headlong fall, will not echo those further words of that great good Dr Johnson, of whom it may be said that had his like been living at the time of Wilde's catastrophe, the whole after-story of Wilde's life would assuredly have been a less pitiful one. Quote, That affluence and power, advantages extrinsic and adventitious, and therefore easily separable from those by whom they are possessed, should very often flatter the mind with expectations of felicity which they cannot give, raises no astonishment. But it seems rational to hope that intellectual greatness should produce better effects, that minds qualified for great attainments should first endeavour their own benefit, And that they who are most able to teach others the way to happiness should, with most certainty, follow it themselves. At the same time, this must not be taken to convey that any close comparison can be instituted between Richard Savage and Oscar Wilde, either in point of capacity and performance, or of character, or indeed, except in respect of their vicissitudes, of career. It may, however, be of literary interest to observe one or two points of similitude in the characters of these two men. One reads of Richard Savage as to his choice of friends. Quote, his time was spent in prison for the most part in study, or in receiving visits, but sometimes he diverted himself with the conversation of criminals, for it was not pleasing to him to be much without company, and though he was very capable of a judicious choice, He was often contented with the first that offered. It will be seen in the course of this book that even in prison, Oscar Wilde took pleasure in the society and conversation of criminals. The smaller natures and the meaner minds still appealed to him, and he underwent punishment rather than forego their whispered exchange of words and it will further be seen in the narrative of his prison life how truly it might be written of him what Dr. Johnson wrote of Savage. Quote, But here, as in every other scene of his life, he made use of such opportunities as occurred to him of benefiting those who were more miserable than himself, and was always ready to perform any office of humanity to his fellow prisoners. Unquote. And, generally, of both, it is equally true that, Quote, Whatever was his predominant inclination, neither hope nor fear hindered him from complying with it, nor had opposition any other effect than to heighten his ardour and irritate his vehemence. Unquote. With equal appositeness, can the moral which Dr. Johnson draws from his narrative be applied to this story also? Quote, this relation will not be wholly without its use if those who languish under any part of his sufferings shall be enabled to fortify their patience by reflecting that they feel only those afflictions from which his abilities did not exempt him, or those who, in confidence of superior capacities or attainments, disregarded the common maxims of life, shall be reminded that nothing will supply the want of prudence, and that negligence and irregularity long continued will make knowledge useless, wit ridiculous, and genius contemptible. Unquote. It is not, indeed, to point afresh this moral that the present book has been written. The age desiderates no such lessons, resents them rather. Life is today ordered by a reconcilement of inclination and interest with the requirements of the written and unwritten laws. He sets out on a futile task who seeks to teach conduct from example, however striking, for our present individualism will brook no such guidance. The purpose of this book is another and a threefold one. It is to give an authoritative record of the career of a remarkable man, of remarkable gifts and achievements. It is to give an account of the author's books and other works to that large section of the world which ignores his writings, which, like 99 out of every 100 Frenchmen, for instance, has heard of his attainder, but knows nothing of his distinction. It is further to remove the false impressions, the misstatements of fact, the lying rumours, which, although the grave in Banyer churchyard closed upon him only one bare luster since, have gathered round his name and story in a cloud of misrepresentation of astonishing magnitude. It is indeed this last purpose which may be allowed to plead the opportunity of the present publication. It is now not too late to establish fact, to refute falsehood, and to present a story freed from the supercharges of error or of malice. These floating rumours have not yet had the time to come together, to coagulate and to crystallise. Rumour can yet be unmasked as rumour. Legend has not yet hardened into history. Posthumous Pasquinard has not yet dried on the tombstone. It was one of the dead wits' sayings that of all the disciples of a man, it is always Judas who writes his biography. In the present instance, this paradox has less truth than ever. The writer was in no sense the disciple of Oscar Wilde. He was indeed as strongly antagonistic to most of his principles, ethical, artistic and philosophical, as he was warmly disposed to him for his many endearing qualities and captivating graces. His qualifications arise from the fact that for the period of 16 years preceding Oscar Wilde's death, he was intimately acquainted with him, that his friendship with him, of which elsewhere a true record exists, Was continuous and uninterrupted save by that act of God which puts a period to all human companionships. That he was with him at times when all others had withdrawn, and that for the very reason that he was not in sympathy with any of the affectations which, towards others, Oscar Wilde used to assume, the man as he truly was, the man as God and nature had made him, was perhaps better known to him than to most of his other associates. The method of treatment which was adopted in that earlier record, to which reference has been made above, being no longer imperative here, has been abandoned, with all the more alacrity on the part of the author that he has ever been in complete concordance with the general preference of objective to subjective treatment in the matter of biography. Today, what three years ago was utterly impossible, He may yield to his own inclinations, because today it has become admissible that a biography of Oscar Wilde can be written and made public. The writer has no longer to seek how to arouse interest in his subject through the graduated emotions of curiosity, pity, amazement, and sympathy. It is open to him to record facts, without having to palliate the offence of so recording them by an exposition of their incidents upon others. The upward climb, the attainment, the joys of conquest, the catastrophe, the precipitation, and the horrors of the abyss may now be depicted upon his canvas in plain fashion. The reader shall see them as they were. He shall no longer be coaxed by a cunning elicitation of his sympathy for the teller of the story to listen to a tale against which prejudice, the voice of public opinion, and his own conception of what it is seemly and expedient for him to hear are ever prompting him to close his ears. Robert Harborough Sherrard, January 14th, 1906. End of preface.